Welcome to Wisdom Unlocked, The Ways of God, a production of Lionshare, a ministry that aims to co-mission with Jesus in making disciples of all nations. We ignite and provide resources to disciple makers in the church and throughout the vocations. In our world today, there is more information available than at any time in history, but wisdom is in short supply. In this podcast, you'll hear how learning about the character and ways of God is a guide to wisdom. Hi, everyone. This is Sonia Beerson with Lionshare, and I'm joined today by founder and president of Lionshare, Dave Beering. We're going to be talking today about the spiritual concept, uh, spiritual teaching on waiting on God. And boy, Dave, do we hate waiting. Yeah, you're not kidding. And uh, and yet this is an important part of the ways of God. And in this podcast, that's what a lot of our focus is, is the ways of God, how God does things. And for us to understand that he does things very differently and and uh, with much, much more wisdom than we do. So when we talk about waiting on God being one of God's ways, it does crash directly into our avoidance of waiting. Everything from grocery lines, uh, driving lanes, you know, going into banks. Uh, you know, we still get frustrated even with the speed of our internet today. If it doesn't come up right away, we're upset about that. And it, it also reminds me of the wait at Christmas time. You know, every child hates from about December 1st until the 24th or 25th that waiting. And yet with it is also an anticipation. And that's part of what we'll talk about today too on waiting on God is there's a role of anticipation. So waiting is one of those things that we often view as negative. And yet, when we look at it in the context that we're going to talk about today, the ways of God, it's a very, very significant and important part of our journey. Matter of fact, waiting on God needs to be primary and is crucial for believers. It's as urgent to true Christianity as breathing is to our bodies. Uh, waiting on God can be a constant, unbroken place, just like breathing, where we uh, are able to have health and life. And so as we talk about this today, I'm excited to chat about it because I find oftentimes followers of Jesus have viewed any kind of waiting as negative, but waiting on God is huge. And I think that's because, number one, he knows that we we hate it <laughs> and God's mm-hmm. always countercultural. And also we... <sighs> I, I think our concept of time is so different from God's concept of time, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. so I think not only is it our culture to want and think something is better because we don't wait for it, but but God's concept of time and, and waiting requires patience for us. And for him, it could be a moment, right? And for us, it's months, maybe years uh, that we've yes. been waiting on those things. So yeah, I think this is a great concept. Uh, let's talk about why we need to wait on God. Yeah, I, I, for me, this it it cuts to the core of my life. And let me suggest some different thoughts on why this is a is core to who we are. First, it deals with our desperate desire to have our own way. And as we know, this started right in the Garden of Eden, and there's this thing inside of us that we've got to have our way, and it deals with that. It deals with the trusting of ourselves, our own knowledge, experiences, judgments, and opinions. Ultimately, it it deals with our independence, 
Waiting on God directly addresses the issues of independence and control in our lives. See, God is always after dependence. And it's one of the things I've learned about the ways of God. I can tell when I'm I'm in the right place on something because it always puts me in a position of dependence. And, and it's not because God wants us to feel small. It's because he wants us to see how big he is. But to be able to allow him to do that in our lives, he puts us in a place of dependence. I think another piece of this is our own sinful nature is unwilling to surrender. It's unwilling to be submissive. It's unwilling ultimately to comply to God's design. And so it's something that that we need to, to recognize that inside of us, there's a lot pushing against us in this area. Yet even in nature, God teaches us about waiting. When we look at seasons, how the, you know, each season is usually give or take three months. Sometimes it spills a little this way or that. And with it comes the beauty, the, the fruit that we're able to pluck off trees, for example, in nature. But we have to wait uh, all through fall and all through winter and through a lot of spring to get to that point in time where we can pluck the apple from the tree. And so even nature itself teaches us the value of waiting on God. Yeah, I've noticed even during the time of the coronavirus and COVID-19, one of the things people have struggled with the most was they want an end date, right? They want to be able to plan for what's coming ahead. And being in limbo is what is frustrating people so much. They didn't know when it was going to end. And as a result, that's what causes the frustration, Mm. right? Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. And I I think there's a place in our journeys with the Lord that we've got to learn to be comfortable in the places of being uncomfortable and realizing that it's not as much about the circumstances as it is about God and our walk with him and him revealing more of himself to us. That's really important to God. And so these moments that we stress out because we're not getting there fast enough, it just reveals again places of our own souls where God wants to come and invade those places and make them more life-giving to us. Something you pointed out to me uh, early on in my time with you was that you said even Jesus had to learn to wait on God mm-hmm. uh, and and did it. And and talk to me about that, because I, I think people forget that even Jesus had to do it. Yes, that's, that's a great point. And I, like, for example, I think about when Jesus was choosing the disciples. He felt like he was supposed to choose these 12 men that would follow him, and ultimately he would pass on the launching of the church to them, as we see in the book of Acts. But it talks about how Jesus waited on the Lord in the place of prayer. He didn't just go, I like him. I think they're awesome. Boy, look at their skill sets. He didn't choose them that way. He waited on his Father in heaven to to allow his father to drop those people into his heart or to highlight them in ways that only God can do. And so Jesus waited uh, on the father in that. He also waited before he ran to help Mary and Martha. Uh, it's something we we often forget, but here Lazarus has been dead several days and you know we'd go running out right away to the hospital, so to speak, to go see Lazarus. Jesus waits because the father had not shown him yet it was time to go. There was that kind of dependence 
And it, it's not meant to be a dependence that we feel crippled by, not at all. We live life, we live based on the word of God, and that's how we live our lives. But in, in that lane of walking in the word of God, we also need to be learning to listen to the things that God wants to say to us. Uh, we also see Jesus waiting on the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Judas came to betray him. We see him again waiting on God. He said, guys, don't fall asleep on me, which they did. And he he went off to just wait on God and to talk with him. So yes, it was a very significant piece of Jesus's life, which means it needs to be a part of ours too. Yeah, I love in that Lazarus example, the waiting actually ended up glorifying God, right? That's exactly right. I love it when we get to see, we don't always get to see the end of it. We don't always get to see the fruit, but in that case we did. And God was glorified as a result of Jesus waiting. Uh, Now, this is not just a a Dave Beering idea. This is all over scripture. Uh, Talk to us about where we see the, the, the discipline, the idea of waiting on God. I think we see it all throughout scripture and, I'll give you I'll give you several pieces here. Let me let me start with one of three that that I think help us understand the expressions in scripture of waiting on God. The first one is waiting in oneness. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 30 and 31 and this is what it says. It may be familiar to you. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the idea here, Sonia, is our waiting on God is meant to be something that binds us to him and renews us. And so that's why I'm talking about waiting in oneness, like a relationship. And the word wait means literally to bind together or like by a twisting. Think of a a vine that has become so entwined with a lattice that it's one. And it gives us that kind of imagery. So the idea here is, is God wants us to wait on him first and foremost to allow his character his ways, his heart desires, his will, his purposes to be bound together to us. Just as tightly as you see a baby bound to its mother. You know, sometimes there's the wraps that we we put around to bind a baby tightly to its mother. It's that kind of imagery. So the first expression of waiting on God is not about seeking him and expecting something or posturing yourself to serve him. Rather, it's all about being one with him. I think that is one of the key misunderstandings of the idea of waiting on God. You know, we're so transactional right now in Mm. our culture and even in our relationships. So it's easy to read this about waiting on God and say, oh, okay, so if I wait on God, I will get this answer. If right. I wait on God, I will get this thing that that I want to get. Uh, it makes me think about the verse, um, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll, he will give you the desires of your heart. Hmm. It sounds transactional, but that's actually not what it is. That's right. That's exactly let's, right. Uh, let's talk about uh, another idea, which is waiting in stillness. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Psalm 62 uh, says this, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. For him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. This is this is another piece that's difficult for us in a world where there is so much noise 
all the time that it's hard to learn to settle our heart, to settle our spirit, to create that internal quiet and rest. And so this idea of waiting in stillness has to do with learning to be calm and relaxed and present in his presence so we can actually hear from him. Uh, Mary and Martha, as we were talking about um, Lazarus a moment ago, Mary and Martha, we have that imagery here of Jesus um, spending time with these two ladies in their home. And one, Mary, is waiting before him. The other is kind of in that culture of busy. And it's very much the world that we live in. So this, again, is a bit counterculture and counter nature to how we're made oftentimes. Um, I, I like what G. Campbell Morgan says here about waiting on God. He says, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any given command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. So there is a posture, like maybe me in the mornings having my quiet time with the Lord, a part of that can be mine just being me just being quiet, maybe having some worship, but then posturing my heart to wait in stillness. But the other thing we have to understand about waiting on God, which not only has to do with like a quiet time, but over the span of living your life, is the ability to do nothing until the command is given. And that doesn't mean you d- you stop working and tending your family. It just means you're still in that place of stillness on that particular issue with God while life goes on around you. But there's an active stillness, an active listening in the midst of quiet and rest. So waiting in stillness, uh, like waiting in oneness, can be a real challenge for us. This is something you know that uh, I'm doing. I've joined a group of women. Uh, We call ourselves uh, Women of Solitude because we're working on this discipline of waiting in stillness. And it's hard for us, uh, all of us being uh, achievers and liking to tick things off our to-do list, Mm -hmm. trying to shut out all the voices, all the things that need to be done uh, in the context of even sitting in our houses is so hard. Mm. And so if you look at people in the past, uh, there are people who've even taken silent retreats uh, where they go off to just be silent uh, before the Lord. And I've struggled with this for a year and a half of, you know, really feeling like being in solitude is a luxury. Mm-hmm. It it does feel a little bit like laziness. It feels selfish to me. And I really had to get over that, get over myself. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anytime I'm in a place of stillness, ideas keep coming to me of what I need to do, what I should do. And uh, what I've had to do is actually keep a little notebook next to myself so that anytime something else tries to interfere with my time of stillness before the Lord, I just write it down. Yes. Right. So that it's no longer in my mind that that's my practical step for doing it, but it really is an inner battle for me. Um, and, and stillness often goes hand in hand with solitude. And I think, uh, a lot of people struggle with doing that when the world is busy but even when it's not busy, they yeah. create work for themselves. They don't like the quiet. Yeah, no, you're right. And and Sonia Cheryl, my wife, does the same 
does the same. You know, she she keeps a little pad there, and it's kind of like an unloading process. And here's the good news that I want to encourage you in. As you continue to find, how do I just unload? And again, God understands. And I think he delights in the fact that we're trying to get there. So we have to, again, realize we're not performing here for God. He's actually delighting in that we're trying to get there. And But here's the good news is as you continue to find processes to unload and get to the place of waiting, it's like a muscle. It gets stronger. Uh, and here's here's why this is important, because sometimes we find ourselves, like for me, in various situations of leadership where there's something important that has just happened that's you know more significant than the average everyday important, and I need to have a decision within 15 minutes. And like, what do I do? Well, I, I will sit there and I will, instead of just running the numbers and panicking and looking at this or looking at that, I will try to posture myself here to get still so that then I can say, okay, here's the facts. Here's the realities. Here's the ramifications. Lord, I invite you into this to walk this through with me. I need your wisdom. I need your counsel. But if we don't learn how to, to wait or to get to a place of stillness, then when we really need it in moments where time is important, we don't know how to get there quickly. But the way that you're doing it, the way that Cheryl's doing it, the way I have to find myself doing it, it's great because we're building a muscle that lets us get there more quickly when we need to get there. And if it's a priority, you make it a priority, That's right? right? It doesn't fall beneath other things that you're doing if you say, this is a priority. This is something I want to protect. Uh, you hinted at this earlier, waiting in anticipation. Uh, there's biblical examples of this, and maybe it's easier to wait if you're anticipating that something's going to come of it, not not just in a mm. transactional nature, but but assuming that something something great is going to come out of it, and so there's anticipation. Yes, and I like Isaiah 64, 4 with this, this concept because— um, it shows what God does on our behalf. What that verse says is, for of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. God desires to act on our behalf. And it's like right now, we are anticipating uh, the arrival of a grandchild. And we're a couple of months away. We've known about it now for months. And there's this anticipation that's coming with the waiting. It's it's the image of the conductor. As somebody who used to be in band in high school, I remember you know the conductor standing up front. And there's that little moment where his hands are in the air with a baton. Everybody's ready. You know, for me, the instrument I played, the mouthpiece, you know, next to my mouth. And then the reality is when his hand moves, we're all in this thing together. But there's that moment of waiting. It's that image of the runners, say, at, at the start of the race, race uh, on your marks, get set. And there's those seconds before the gun is shot and they shout go. But there's this intensity and anticipation of waiting. And I believe that part of our waiting on God has to do with anticipating whatever it is that he is doing, whatever it is we're talking with him about, whatever decisions we're having to make, that he is acting on our behalf. Uh, as we wait on God, we can anticipate that, as this verse says in Isaiah 64, he acts on behalf of those who wait for him, which also causes me, Sonia, to stop and go, okay, so if I'm not waiting on him Am I robbing God, if I could say it that way, 
of the opportunity to work on my behalf because I'm getting my busy fingers in there. And so when you think of this passage, here's a couple of thoughts. How many times have we put our hands to something only to see it crumble because we did not wait for him? And then when we think about Jesus, he told the disciples to wait. Like, imagine this. That he, you know, he's ascending into heaven and he tells them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you're empowered with the Holy Spirit. Because without that, the church could not have been born in the, the love and power it was born in. So there is an aspect of waiting in anticipation when we talk about waiting on God. I love uh, Henry Blackaby's quote that you often uh, quote to us, uh, and I'm not sure if I'm exactly quoting it correctly, but what God initiates, he permeates, and what we initiate, we have to sustain. Uh, help it, help our, our listeners understand that. Yeah, and I, that's an honor for me that you've entwined a saying that I have into Henry Blackaby, because that's where I learned it. Learn, Henry says it this way, what God, uh, no, that's what Dave says. What Henry says <laughs> is, is Henry makes the comment of look where God is working and join him in it. And my translation of that years ago was what you just said, what God initiates, he permeates, what I initiate, I have to sustain. And Sonia, I've had to learn that one the hard way. And there's times I still bump into it because my flesh wants to do something or get on with it or, or the way I view it instead of how God views it is different. But there, there's a very, very much a reality to that. What I initiate, I end up having to be the one to sustain it. I have to be the one to keep life in it, to keep working. It, and that's where we get exhausted, where if we know that God has initiated it, his breath is on it. His provision, his protection, his leading, his guiding, it's all wrapped up into that. And one of the things that we have to understand is in our lives, we need to be able to ask the question as we're moving into a new decision or purchasing this or doing that, is, is ask yourself or ask your family, your spouse, is the breath of God on this? Like, is it his idea? Is he initiating that? Whatever way you want to say that. It's something that Cheryl and I ask repeatedly with decisions that we're making is, do we feel the breath of God on this? Do we sense his leading and guiding, or is this just our own idea? And, you know, we've had to learn the hard way that it's just not good to act on our own behalf, but rather to make sure that God is the one behind it and we get to be obedient and participate in what he's doing. And I'll be honest, in my own life, sometimes I really have bathed something in prayer and felt like I got the green light to go forward with it. And then at some point on that path, it starts to become hard. I I feel like mm. um, I am holding it up by myself, that, that there isn't blessing over it. And I wonder, has something changed? You know, maybe I was supposed to go down this path, but now it's becoming... I feel like I'm sustaining it. And so I really have to kind of stop and say, I don't know, Lord, if I wasn't supposed to start this, you know, in the beginning, or maybe mm -hmm. circumstances have changed. So I'm supposed to make a U-turn a or I'm supposed to listen for a different direction to go on this. And I, I, I see this in church life a lot where people initiate a program and then, you know, it's a good idea. It starts as a good idea and it seems biblical and everybody, you know, in the meeting was on agreement with it. And then as it's happening or, you know, a few months later, it, it's, there's no fruit. It's, it's not working. It, mm. There's so much energy put into it. 
And so I just want to encourage people to really chew on this concept of, of first of all, don't start it uh, just because it's a good idea. Yes. Uh, start it because you feel like, based on scripture, based on what others have said to you who are godly counsel and what the Holy Spirit is telling you before you even start, but listen along the way as well. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, like one of the long waits that I think and I could probably say at the long wait is imagine when the Lord showed Israel about a coming Savior, a coming Messiah, and the long wait until Jesus came. And so we have to realize that when we wait on the Lord and he shows us something, sometimes there can be a journey that's involved. And and if I'm really honest, I would say nine times out of 10 in my life, there's a journey. And the end goal for God is not the thing that you want done because he can do that in a heartbeat. The end goal for God is him growing you in relationship with him. It's him growing you to look more like him. And then when we get there to the end game, we've been changed in the process. And that's part of the the dynamic of how God does things. He doesn't want to leave us the same. He wants us looking more like his son. Why? So the world sees him more through you and me. And so those are those are really key things as it relates to waiting on God. So what you're saying is, is that God is pleased, right? That we keep checking in with him, yes. uh, you know, referencing him along the path and saying, okay, this way, that way, you know, what do you think, Lord? Uh, it's it's not just about, did I make the right decision, right? That's right. It's, it's, he's just tickled and pleased that, that we're checking in with him along the way. And, you know, that's something that I want for my children, right? I want to mm. have that kind of relationship with them where, man, when they check in with me on something or ask my advice, you know, I'm I'm tickled. Yeah, <laughs> I love that they want my counsel, and and yep. and I'm not saying I always have the best counsel, but the, just the fact that they even checked uh, makes me makes me pleased. It makes me feel like we're in a good relationship. Yes, uh, I, I'm certainly not God and have all the answers, but but that's great. So let let's move on to practical application. We we've hinted at this. Uh, what what are some practices that people can put into place for waiting on God? Well, one thing I want to say to Sonia is if, if this is something that's really speaking to those of you that are listening to this today, I want to commend to you a, a book by Andrew Murray that's simply called Waiting on God. It's a book you can read as a book. It's a book that is broken up in a way that you could read um, a short chapter a day over a month, but it's a it's a good read to begin to stretch you to think about waiting on God. Um, another practical thing to do is something Cheryl and I have done over the years of our marriage, we do what we call prayer retreats, where we get away twice a year. Usually, it's usually late December, early January. You know, bef- kind of the end of Christmas and before things kick in for the new year, and then sometime during the summer, where we wait on the Lord about all the important decisions in our lives. And uh, it's usually a two or three day getaway. Cheryl likes it. She doesn't have to cook. We have some fun with it, but we take blocks of time, like two to three hour blocks, and we take a topic. And it could be, Lord, what are you saying to us about where our kids need to be in school? Lord, what are you saying to me about my travel? What are you saying about lion share? What are you saying about Cheryl's artwork? Categories like that. And we just fully give ourselves to the combination of waiting on God, literally meaning listening to things that we ask questions to God about, and then sharing with each other what the Lord shows us, then discussing that, and then going back to the Lord in prayer. So by the time we come to the end of that topic, we can look at each other and say, 
is this what you believe the Lord is saying about this? And when the other can say yes, and we're in agreement on that, it, it is an amazing thing. And so that's something that that you can do as a married couple. It's something you can do if you're single is, is get with another friend or two and maybe share those times. Do somebody's, the two of you pray uh, and wait on the Lord together on one person's behalf on Friday, another person's Saturday morning, another's you know, Saturday afternoon, then rotate it back around and everybody gets a couple times where you've been waiting on the Lord on behalf of each other. But um, that has become gold in our marriage, and it becomes every year for us our mile markers that we can reference throughout the year. Yeah, after learning that idea from you, because it, it honestly was a brand new thing uh, that that my husband and I had heard that practice, uh, we started to do it as well. And the way we kind of modified what you're talking about is, is we did a, a business meeting the first day right? Where we have all of our topics, everything from our finances to uh, our work, uh, to the church we're attending, uh, like you said about our kids. Uh, I've counseled single friends uh, to do this regarding their relationships and, and where, they're, uh, where they're devoting their time. We even make a list of, of other families or other people that we want to intentionally uh, spend time with you know, over the course of the next six months to a year. And then the next day we pray about those things, you know, decisions we've made uh, to see if it lines up with scripture, to see if it lines up with what the Holy Spirit is telling us, if it lines up with our priorities and and what we feel the Lord is is telling us. And that gives us a, a bit of a roadmap for the upcoming year. So Dave, why don't you review for us the practical applications that people should take away from waiting on God? So I, I want to look at those three um, different expressions of waiting as we as we close. So the first one, waiting in oneness. As you make this practical, find times that you can just be alone with the Lord and it's reflection on scripture. It's just learning to catch his heart. It's just listening. It's it's posturing yourself to say, God, I want to be able to walk in oneness with you, that, that your hand is mine and my voice is yours. And there's a walking together. So it's more of a relational feel. Waiting in stillness is just that discipline of learning to quiet your soul and the noise of the world so that you know how to hear from him. And so how are you going to build that into your life? What kind of times can you set in your lives? Like maybe Cheryl and I with our prayer retreat that you can just wait on the Lord in stillness. And then also the waiting and anticipation. What what are the things right now in your life you need God's counsel on? That If you knew he invited you to coffee and you could ask him whatever you want, what would you talk to him about? And I want to encourage you to go to the Lord and bring these things before him and ask him and just wait quietly on him. He might show you some things right then and there, but but don't just stop waiting there. Wait as you live your life because in the middle of the day, as you're driving in the car to the grocery store or on the way home from work or whatever the case may be, you might see the Lord dropping something else in your heart. Sometimes waiting is not just being quiet and still and anticipating in one place. It's as you're living your life life. You're also having an attitude of waiting on God. Well, thank you for sharing this with us today. And and we really hope that you all are able to take uh, a moment this week to put this into practice uh, and, and start waiting on the Lord on, on important things uh, that are coming up in your life. Uh, 
And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast and continue listening to the ways of God and how that is a pathway to wisdom. We drop new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of each month. Wisdom Unlocked, The Ways of God is a production of Lionshare, a ministry that ignites and provides resources to disciple makers in the church and throughout the vocations. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you, please visit lionshare.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Vimeo, and YouTube.